All right, James chapter 4 tonight, the book of James chapter number 4, the book of James chapter number 4, and if you're able to, as you find your place, as is custom here at Riverside, and you're able to stand, go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word, James chapter number 4. I was telling pastor before service, I've had enough Strawberry Hall's cough drops in the last three or four days that if I get sick in the pulpit, it's just going to be like red spewing out of my mouth. And we know he doesn't like red on the carpet. So if you see some red dribble coming out of the side of my mouth, just David, come up and clean it up for me, okay? <clears throat> but just I'm going to open the lid up like this. And yeah. <clears throat> Anyway, anyway. <clears throat> so praise the Lord. I know there are a lot of people sick that are under the weather, and I'm not trying to minimize that at all. Uh, Miss Mariel, bless her heart, she walked in this morning, and she said, oh, Brother Andrew, you're healed. Or maybe you're just sick trying to bring it for the rest of us, and you're just coming to church bringing it with you. So uh, I, I know it's been kind of going around, so if you are sick and you're staying home, totally understand, thank you for watching via live stream. If you're sick and you're at church, keep it to yourself, Amen. All right, <clears throat> James chapter number four. People, I don't know how people live without a church family. That's so much, so much fun and entertainment in God's house. All right, James chapter number four. Let's get spiritual tonight, amen? James four. Let's begin. We're going to begin reading in verse number one. The Bible says this. It says, from whence came or whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your own lust, that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have. And, can, and cannot obtain, you fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Lord willing, tonight I want to preach on this subject, spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery. Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to be back in your house this Sunday night. Lord, I thank you for just... Lord, my church family, Lord, thank you for Riverside Baptist Church and what it has meant to me and my family. Lord, I, I'm thankful this, this night that we get to spend uh, this time right now with the Word of God opened up, gleaning from Scripture. And Lord, I'm thankful for the book of James. It is my favorite book in the Bible. Lord, there's so much truth found within this little teeny book that often we overlook it. I pray tonight, God, that as we get in this message, it's going to get a little deep here to begin, but... Or there is some positive at the end, something that, that, that I find in Scripture here that has been an encouragement to me in my sp- spiritual walk and my relationship with you. And Lord, I'm not, I can't even, Lord, attempt to think tonight that I've arrived or that I've got things conquered because, Lord, I am such a mess and you know it. Lord, I pray tonight that we'd be encouraged in our Christian walk and our Christian life. Lord, it's not about being better than anybody else in this room where we all struggle with sin, we all struggle with worldliness. We all struggle in this area of spiritual adultery when we get down to it. So help us tonight, God, to be just drawn closer to you, to be more Christ-like in everything that we do and say, that you might get the honor and the glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. The book of James is focused primarily, if you would, focused on the outward life of faith that man sees. James has often been referred to as the Proverbs book, if you would, of the New Testament. This small book of just containing five chapters is focused on the outward life of faith that men see on a daily basis. The focus is on our fruit, if you would. The Apostle Paul was concerned as he wrote his epistles 
about the inner faith of a man's heart. And as you were to study the, apostles of, uh, the epistles of Paul, if you would, tonight, you would know that Paul addressed very often and very frequently, even to his letters to the churches, the fact of the inner faith of a man's heart as God sees it. And they're standing with God. So in Paul's books, he addresses the importance of taking the gospel in, but the book of James, if you would, emphasizes living the gospel out. And I think probably the biggest mistake we can make as Christians, and I don't think we tend to make it on purpose, I think just sometimes it happens, is we hear good preaching and we hear good uh, teaching and we hear the Word of God, we're reading the Word of God and we take it in, but we don't necessarily always live it out. And there's a big misconception uh, in society today that Christians are just kind of like pacifists and kind of pushovers, a mindset that it's not that big of a deal. And can I say this tonight, that what we take in from a spiritual perspective, we need to then live out. We need to live out the things that God has challenged us with. And that is what really what James, the book of James, gets at. James is calling for real, practical, genuine Christian living. As a matter of fact, if you study the book of James, uh, you can contrast it with the Sermon on the Mount out of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. 21 different perspectives of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the similarities within the Sermon on the Mount, can be outlined or paralleled, if you would, with the book of James. But we find ourselves tonight in James chapter number 4, and James begins this chapter very pointedly describing the lust that has consumed everyday Christians. Notice verse number one. He says this, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Now, <clears throat> let's pause there for just a second. James isn't writing to the lost person. James isn't writing an epistle, if you would, that's main focus and main emphasis is to get somebody to the point of salvation, recognizing their need of a Savior and getting them to a point of uh, realizing, hey, I need to get saved. I need to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. James' epistle is already at the point to where this individual is already saved. They've already been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. But there's some things in their life that need to change so they can be more Christ-like on a daily basis. And so he says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your own lust, and that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. The first three verses draw a very sad picture of frustration, if you would. James ultimately is saying this, you lust, but you have not. You lust after certain things, Christian, but you have not. You desire, but you don't obtain. You're not satisfied. Isn't it true tonight that our flesh is never really ever satisfied? There are many frustrated Christians in the world tonight because they have the wrong priorities in their life. There are things in their life that they lust after. There are things in their life that they, that they desire more than anything else. They don't have those things in their life. Therefore, they're frustrated. They're discouraged. They're ready to throw in the towel. You see, tonight, James identifies one of the things that takes place in our life, and that is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is the heart of a Christian's life. Look, notice in verse number two, when the Bible says, ye lust and have not. James says there's some lust, there's a desire, a, a setting of your heart, if you would, upon something that is self-seeking in pleasure. Some believers in the Jerusalem church could identify as James is writing this passage of scripture here, and he's identifying the areas of their life that they're getting at where it's like, hey, listen, you want these certain things, but you're not getting them. You're not, you're not, you're asking, look at verse number three says, ye ask amiss. You're asking for the wrong the wrong way, you're asking for the wrong motive, you're asking for the wrong, the wrong uh, perception, if you would, of what God, you think God's just going to give you whatever you want? How many of us have gone to prayer like that with God and said, God, I really want this certain thing, expecting God to do it, when God doesn't do it, we're kind of a little upset. Could it be tonight that we're just simply asking amiss? But in verse number four, he kind of changes the tone a little bit. Notice the first couple of words as James writes here. 
He says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. <clears throat> ye adulterers and adulteresses. Believers in the Jerusalem church could very well relate to these two phrases, adulterers and adulteresses, very well. We know this, and for the sake of time, we won't look at it tonight, but we know that the Apostle Paul dealt with the issue of adultery within the church at Corinth. And, and, and I, I understand the crowd we have tonight, but listen, let's be honest tonight that adultery is a very, very wicked sin. I mean, hold, hold up, we got a room full of adults and, and married couples in here. Adultery is a very, very wicked sin. Adultery is a very, very wicked sin. A sin, listen, a sin that is as prevalent just outside these walls as it could be inside these walls if we're not careful. Right? I mean, for all the years, I just in, in working youth ministry and the times that I've been able to be here or be in Colorado on staff at the church in Colorado, the amount of times where people have walked in and they're, they're, I can specifically remember sitting in the office in Colorado and one of our military guys walking in just broken and, and, and beat down and the situation was going on between him and his wife. Listen, I would never have imagined it between these two individuals, but adultery was there. Adultery is a very, very horrible, horrible, horrible sin. It's, it's a serious offense against God. And actually in the Old Testament, God, as he gave the law to the nation of Israel, carried with it a capital offense. Deuteronomy chapter number 22, the Bible records this. Then you shall bring them both out into the gate of the city and you shall stone them with stones that they die. The damsel, because she cried not, being in the city, and the man, because he hath humbled his neighbor's wife, so they shall both be put away from evil among you. I can't think of, I, I, I just, I, I can't imagine tonight the reality of this in the sense that when we think about adultery, think about the wickedness of adultery, uh, let's just think for a second, our culture and that we live in. The culture that we live in today, uh, adultery is, is, not, is not frowned upon. It's not frowned upon. Growing up in a military home, I understood from a very early age that uh, I, I knew my dad had co-workers that got discharged out of the military. I don't know if it still is the case, but back when my dad was in the military, you committed adultery, you were out of the military, you were out of the service. Listen, I, I, know of, of, listen, I know of pastors that stand in the pulpits across America that have committed adultery, yet they still stand in those pulpits. No, no, no. We're talking about pastors that stand in the pulpits that open a King James Bible and preach the Word of God, yet they, in their own life, they are guilty of adultery. No, no, we live in a society that has looked at adultery and it's kind of just brushed aside like it's no big deal. Can I say this tonight, friend? God still looks at it as sin. God still looks at it as wrong. After David sinned with Bathsheba, after David committed adultery with Bathsheba, he never won another victory. He never won another victory. Other people had to do his fighting for him. And other people had to do all the things that God, I believe, desired to do with David. But because of adultery, because of adultery, David could not be used the way God, I believe, wanted to use him. We would agree tonight that physical adultery is wrong. But what about spiritual adultery? We're not going to take a poll tonight, but I would dare say that if we were to ask this question, how many in here have ever committed adultery? I'm sure we wouldn't have any takers that would want to raise their hand. Just like if I asked this question, how many of us tonight have ever committed spiritual adultery? We probably wouldn't have any takers then either. You know why? Because we're very embarrassed by the word of adultery. We're very ashamed. We're, we're put aside by the word adultery in and of itself because it carries with it a negative connotation. Let me ask you this question tonight. Let me ask you this question. What if I stood before you tonight as Brother Andrew and obviously my wife sitting over there? What if I just stood before you tonight and, and read a, a letter basically apologizing to the church for an adulterous offense? What if I stood before you tonight and admitted to the fact that I'd had an immoral relationship with a woman that was not my wife? 
That's a pretty serious offense, is it not? But what is the difference in us being in here tonight, taking a hymnal, singing praises unto God, having the Word of God open, thinking we're doing a service to God, but deep down inside, spiritually speaking, we're committing adultery. James, he's, 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 listen, he's, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's writing to these Christians. And he's saying, listen, there is a problem within your heart. You're lusting after the wrong things. And as he gets into verse number four, he says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. James declares this, that the friend of the world is the enemy of God. Once one reads this verse, it's as though the Lord was charging them with being, uh, having an illicit and immoral affair. The friendship of the world is enmity with God. The world referenced here in the book of James refers not to the material universe, if you would. It's not to the globe. It's not to the earth. But no, it's to the order system that has rejected Jesus Christ. Throughout scriptures, God gives us a warning, if you would, concerning our association with the world. Throughout the history of God's dealing with his people, he has always called them to be holy, separated to himself. You study the, the history of the nation of Israel, God wanted them to be separated. You study the disciples and the ministry that Jesus had with the disciples. He wanted them to be separate. He wanted them to be different. He didn't want them to be like the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. He wanted them to be different. You study early church history. God designed and propagated the gospel so that it'd be different amongst his people. God has never, <clears throat> listen, God has never designed the church to be just like the world. But it has, ever, it has ever been the effort of the devil to break down the wall of separation. Amos chapter 3, verse number 3, the Bible says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? The answer to that question is no, not possible. Husbands and wives, can we agree tonight? There's no possible way that a husband and wife can, be, can walk the same direction and not be in agreement. Listen, there's going to be some frustration. There's going to be some animosity. Some of you teenagers need to listen and take some notes right here. Listen, husbands and wives need to be in agreement. Need to be in agreement when it comes to your finances. Need to be in agreement when it comes to your kids. Need to be in agreement when it comes to your faith. Listen, you need to be in agreement. Saddest thing, saddest thing is when one or the other, whether it be the husband or whether it be the wife, not be in agreement with the other. And one will give in to the other to make everything work out. I've watched people walk away from careers, walk away from family, walk away from God himself over a spouse because they're not in agreement. So how do we deal with spiritual adultery in our Christian life? James says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is the enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. How, how do I deal with this issue of adultery, Brother Andrew, the, the spiritual adultery? Because listen, we may be sitting here tonight, and I, I don't know this. I, I don't know of anybody in here that's sitting in here tonight that has committed physical adultery, uh, that, that they've been unfaithful to their spouse. But can I be honest with you tonight, I think about this passage of Scripture, and I think about the words that James uses tonight, and I realize this, can I honestly say I have been as faithful to God as he has been to me? The answer is no. No. And there's, listen, there is no one to blame but me on that question. No one to blame but me. So how do I deal with the spiritual adultery in our Christian life? Well, the first thing I see here in our, in our text, look at verse number four. We've got to identify the enemy that we're fighting. Listen, we got to identify the enemy that we're fighting. The root cause of every spiritual war, internal and external, is rebellion against God. Notice verse number four. The Bible says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Here's enemy number one, the world. The world. <clears throat> the world is our enemy. By the, world, by the word world, James means this, the human society apart from God. The whole system of things in this society of ours is anti-Christ and anti-God. If you watch the news this week and you watch what took place in Washington, D.C. at the Supreme Court, 
concerning abortion rights and, and, and women's rights and the case of Roe versus Wade, man, what a massive chaos that took place. What massive chaos. And what's sickening and what's sad is that we look at those, those things, that, those pictures that take place on the TV screen or on Facebook or on Twitter, whatever the case is, and we just kind of accept that as normal. We just kind of accept that as that's the thing to do. Uh, 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 just, just this last week, uh, we have a policy in our home where uh, our kids aren't allowed to watch a movie. If they say, hey, Dad, Mom, we want to watch this movie, if we've never seen it, Crystal and I have never seen it, uh, the policy is, no, you cannot watch that until your mom and dad sit down and watch the movie. And so we sat down and watched the movie. <clears throat> I won't tell you uh, uh, what famous kids' company put the movie out. starts with the D. Anyway, um, we watched this movie, and, and we're watching the movie. Listen, no, no foul language, Brother Joe. No foul language. No foul language. No nudity. But there was an underlining theme with a certain agenda between a man and another man that was, that was intertwined through the movie. And get this, about three-quarters of the way through the movie, it comes out broad as daylight. And it's like, oh, there it is. There it is. But you know how many Christians probably sat down and thought, oh, that's not a big deal. I mean, it's just on that kid's cartoon thing there. Let's just go ahead and play it. And listen, folks, we got to be careful tonight to recognize the world is not our friend. It's our enemy. James, look what James says. He says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. He said there's, 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 a, there's a conflict that takes place. He says the world is not your friend. No, no. As a matter of fact, the world is the enemy of God. And wait a minute, wait a minute, Christian, you're supposed to be the friend of God, not the friend of the world. So if you're the friend of the world, you're not the friend of God, man, there's a big problem that's going on right here. There's some unfaithfulness that's going on right here. There, there's a division, if you would, that's going on right here. No, no, no. No, if, if I'm going to stand before you and say, hey, listen, uh, uh, I'm married to Crystal Rodriguez, and that's my wife, that's my bride, that's my best friend, uh, that's my girlfriend, that's my everything, but yet, but yet have a girl on the side, there's big problems there. Big problems there. Oh, Brother Andrew, man, I love God. I, I love God. I was, tell, I was sharing with Pastor this afternoon. I had, I had a, a young a teenage guy talking to me this afternoon after the morning message, and I asked him about his salvation. And, and here's, here's what he said. He goes, I, I know I'm saved. I said, how do you know you're saved? He goes, because I praise God. And I'm like, what? He goes, I praise God. So because I praise God, I know I'm saved. So I'm like, okay, let me, let me follow your thinking here. And I asked him a simple question. I said, do you read your Bible? He goes, well, you know, I really don't like reading. No, 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 no. We've got to get off this mindset of it's a little bit of God, a little bit of the world, a little bit of happiness, singing kumbaya, we're good to go. It doesn't work that way. God says, listen, either you're going to be my friend or you're going to be the friend of the world. So we've got to identify the enemy, the world, number one. Uh, A.W. Tozer said this. He said, spiritual Christians look upon the world not as a playground, but as a battleground. Man, that was a great quote. He said, spiritual Christians look upon the world not as a playground, but as a battleground. Well, Brother Andrew, it's not that big of a deal. Hold up. I'm a public school kid. I'm rough around the edges. Ask pastor. I'm rough around the edges. I, I, I can be hard-headed, right? We can all be a little rough. We can all be a little carnal. We can all be a little sinful. Oh, yeah, we can. Man, it's, it's, it takes some work to be spiritual. But when we think about the world, the world is not a playground. It's a battleground. But then I want you to notice verse number one here of our text in James chapter number four. James says this, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your own lust that war in your members? Look at verse number five. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Listen, the enemy is not just the world, but how about this? Number two, the enemy is the flesh. Your flesh, my flesh. 
By the flesh, it's meant this, the old nature that we inherited from Adam, which is prone to sin. The spirit may use the body to glorify God, but the flesh may use the body to serve sin. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible tells us this, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Remember when Apostle Paul would say something along these lines? What I want to do, I'm not able to do. And what I don't want to do, that's what I do. Kind of paraphrase it in a nutshell. You ever find yourself there? Man, you want to do right, you want to read your Bible, you want to pray, but it's a struggle, and it doesn't happen. Been there. But then there's things you want to avoid, then there's things you want to, you want to distance yourself from, there's some sin and some temptation that creeps on up, and you're like, man, I know that's wrong, I know that's not spiritual, I know that's not going to help me get closer to God, but man, I kind of like it. No, 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 we battle the flesh. The conflict tonight is not with your spouse, it's not with your pastor, your church, the conflict's with the world and the flesh. Romans chapter 8, verse 6, the Bible tells us this, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. But I want you to also notice verse number 6 of our text tonight. I think the third enemy we can see in our text is found in verse number 6 and verse number 7. The Bible says, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil. Resist the devil. We preached this morning on the reality of hell and that hell is real can I say this, that just as hell is real, so is the devil? No, no, you can't explain away the devil tonight. The devil is our enemy. This world is in conflict with the Father. The flesh fights against the Holy Spirit. And the devil opposes the Son of God. God wants us to depend upon his grace, but we've got to recognize tonight that the devil is our enemy. He enjoys inflating the ego and encouraging the believer to do as his own way. Man has nothing to be proud of in himself. There dwells no good thing in us, according to Romans chapter 7, verse number 18. But the fact of the matter is this, the devil is real. The devil is our enemy. So how does this take place? How do we, after identifying the enemy, if you would, Brother Andrew, how does this all come about, come about to where we commit spiritual adultery? Look at verse 4 again. He says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. I'm going to give you the steps that take place here in how we commit spiritual adultery. Number one, the friendship. Involvement in a worldly lifestyle or involvement in spiritual adultery begins with a gradual process. No different than the sin of physical adultery. It does not happen on a whim. It does not happen in a moment. It takes time. It takes a thought process. Such as the same case for spiritual adultery. It begins first and foremost with a friendship. Friendship leads to, leads to loving the world, and this makes it easy to conform to the world. First John chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible tells us this, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You see, friendship with the world is comparable to adultery. The believer, according to Romans chapter number 7, verse number 4, when Paul wrote that, the believer is, if you would, who's put their faith and trust in Christ, is married to Christ and ought to be faithful to Christ. The Jewish Christians who were reading this letter from James, they would understand the picture, if you would, of spiritual adultery. Say, so how would they understand it, Brother Andrew? 
Because Jewish Christians at this point in history, they knew what the prophets Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Hosea had, had said about the adultery of Israel. They understood the concept that was taking place here. They understood that as a nation, as a people of God, that Israel, the God's chosen people, listen, that they had committed horrible, horrible whoredoms against a holy and a righteous God. Listen, I don't, I don't believe in, in, in replacement theology. I don't believe that, that God has replaced the nation of Israel with the church. I hope you don't believe that tonight. Uh, it's a totally different message. I, I believe this, that God has a plan and has a purpose for the nation of Israel. He still does. He's not done with them. He's still got a purpose. He's still got a plan. But can I say this, that when you look at the nation of Israel and you study the Old Testament and you see time after time after time after time after again where they did that which was right in their own eyes, ultimately reading between the lines, here's what they were doing. They were committing spiritual adultery and thumbing their nose in the face of God and expecting God to turn a blind eye. Now, I don't know about you, but, but if, if my spouse committed adultery, there'd be no way I could just turn a blind eye and say it's not a big deal. But yet we expect God, when we commit spiritual adultery, when we sin against a holy and a righteous God, when we commit spiritual adultery and go against him, that we expect God just to turn a blind eye and go the other way? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But it begins with a friendship. Here he says in verse number four, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. <clears throat> I've got a couple of friends, amen? Brother Brett, you my friend? Well, I had a couple of friends. <clears throat> There's a friend of mine that, that I worked with at Johnson Controls when we first moved here. I'm not going to mention his name. He might be watching the live stream. But I've invited him here multiple times. Still talk to him to this day, and it's been since 2018. I remember sitting at breakfast with him years ago at Big Biscuit, him and I, and him uh, relaying to me, <clears throat> some of the struggles he was having with his spouse and the struggle that he was having. Grew up in church, but got away from God as he graduated high school. And I would consider him a friend, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go hang out with him like I would Brother Brett. There's some choices he's made in life, some things that he partakes in that aren't conducive to my Christian life. And so while I might have a friend, there's got to be some lines that are drawn in the sand, if you would, with this friend of mine. And listen, if we're not careful tonight, we, we look at the world as a friendship of, hey, there's going to be no line in the sand. Whatever happens, happens. And with open arms, we embrace the world. But it's not just the friendship. We'll go over to James chapter number one. Here's the second thing that takes place in our spiritual adultery. James chapter number one. Look at verse number 27. It begins with a friendship, if you would. It begins with just getting acquainted with the world. Kind of like just sticking our nose out there, if you would. Look at James chapter number one and verse number 27. James would write these words. He says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. Now notice, notice this part. We often kind of want to overlook this part right here. And to keep himself unspotted from the world. How do I commit spiritual adultery, Brother Andrew? Well, number one, start a friendship with the world. Number two, you become spotted by the world. We start out being friendly to the world all along, not thinking it'll be a big problem until the world begins to influence and the world's influence begins to influence us. The first thing to change is our attitude. Say, can you prove it, Brother Andrew? Absolutely. Moms and dads, do you know when, you're, when your child gets a new friend in their life? How do you know? Their attitude changes. Their attitude changes. 
Hey, listen, I, 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 I hate to say this, but I'm just going to be blunt tonight. I mean, we're it's Sunday night, it's church family. But it's amazing, and, and Pastor and I have had these conversations before. It's amazing how you can go to camp in July, and you get into July and August and September. And man, our teenagers, they're on fire. They're sitting up. They're paying attention in Sunday school, and they're eating it up. And they're like, man, I want to live for God. I want to live for God. I want to live for God. And they go back to school. They go to jobs. They go to extra activities. And they show up to Sunday school like this. And it's not because Brother Andrew just stands up there and take your Bible and turn to. Ask the kids about Sunday school this morning. We had a leper in Sunday school this morning. Thank you, Connor. Amen. No, no. No, no. Let's, let's be honest. When we become spotted by the world, our attitude changes. Our attitude changes. It, it, it's, it's, it's sad to think about all the times that we'd be at camp and we'd be away from all the influences of the world. And man, how often we would flood the altar. And how many times our tears would, would just pour out of our, our, our eyes and we'd just, be, just lay everything to God and just, God, here, here it is. Here's all of me, God. But yet we come back to life down off the mountain and we become friends with the world again and we become spotted by the world and our attitude begins to change. No, no, it's not just your attitude. It's my attitude too. I live in the same world. I, I have to deal with the same influences that you have to deal with. It doesn't matter if you're on church staff or not. We have to deal with these things. We become spotted by the world, the influence that takes place. When our kids get a new friend, their attitude changes. How they respond to us changes. The, uh, the, the attention to detail changes. Some get good friends, and we can obviously tell when they have good friends, but we can also tell when they have bad friends. When we become spotted by the world, our attitude changes toward God. Our attitude changes toward church. Our attitude changes toward our pastor. Our attitude changes toward our brother and sister in Christ. You see, when we become spotted by the world, the change takes effect from the inside out, not the outside in. <clears throat> Number three tonight, not only, <clears throat> not only is friendship the beginning, then we become spotted by the world, but I believe also here in verse number four, you can find this, that number three, we become, there's a love that is created for the world's lifestyle. He says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? That the friendship of the world. Now, why would he make that statement? Well, because in verse number one through verse number three, he addresses the carnality of the individual Christian when he says this, ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Here's where our attitude becomes known on an outward platform. Love is an action verb. For love to be seen, it must be expressed or shown. So for a Christian who is committed to committing spiritual adultery, it's going to show. It's going to show in their love for this world and all that it supposedly has to offer. There's no denying when their love for this world is greater than their love for God. It's sad to think tonight that we could grow up in church and be in church our entire life and maybe sing in the choir, sing a special, maybe even preach the word of God, whatever the case is, but yet our love for this world and our love for this world's lifestyle is greater than our love for God. So how is that so, Brother Andrew? Well, it's demonstrated by our affection. Let me ask you this question. How much time do you spend every day with God? Well, that's a little personal, Brother Andrew. Okay. It's a little spiritual, Brother Andrew. Okay, let me ask you this question. How much time do you spend every day praying for your pastor? 
How much time do you spend every day praying for your deacons? How much time do you spend every day praying for one another? No, when our focus is on the world, nothing else is our focus. You say, man, am I really committing spiritual adultery? Answer those questions. You'll be able to tell real quick. If you could care less about this family, if you could care less about God's Word, maybe tonight we're committing some spiritual adultery. The love for the world's lifestyle. And then lastly, the fourth thing I think takes place is this. There's a conforming to this world. Romans chapter number 12, verse 1 and 2 are my life verses, but in verse 2 the Bible says this, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When we conform to this world, we begin to pattern our life after this world. The saddest thing is for a Christian, listen, the saddest thing is for a Christian to live their life after the world, the things of the world, and yet miss out on the blessings of God, and then, then have the audacity to blame their shortcomings and their failures spiritually on someone else. Listen, tonight, you and I have been challenged from the Word of God. James says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Listen, tonight, if I'm a friend of the world, I am at odds, I, I, I am at enmity, I am indifferent to God, plain and simple. Plain and simple. So, how do I deal with the spiritual adultery? How do I deal with it? <clears throat> how do I deal with it? Look at verse number seven. The Bible says this in verse number seven. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Here's your escape from spiritual adultery. Number one, you gotta submit yourself to God. This word is a military term, the word submit. It means this, to get into your proper rank. Listen, a private cannot act like a general. I got a brother who, who's a tech sergeant in the Air Force, and he is on White House detail. He's been on White House detail for the last four or five years. He actually sent me a text this afternoon. He got some coin from the president something, and <clears throat> I was like, yeah, no big deal, dude. It's not that big of a deal anymore. But listen, I, I, I think about Nick, my brother Nick, being in the Air Force and being a tech sergeant at E6, and you know, brother Aaron, I, I could think of Nick walking in as an E6. He's got about 14 years in the Air Force walking into a four-star general's office saying, okay, okay, general, this is how it's going to be done. I'm Nick Rodriguez, and I'm, an, I'm a technical sergeant, and I'm on White House detail, and this is how it's going to be done. It's not how it works. <laughs> not how it works. And listen, that's not how it works when it comes to spiritual matters either. We have no right to walk into the throne room of God and say, God, this is how it's going to work. God, this is how you're going to operate. God, this is what you're going to allow me to do. God, this is what you're going to not keep me from doing. No, no, no. We cannot give place to the devil. Satan needs a foothold in our life, and here's how he's going to do it. By getting us not to submit to God. After King David committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed her husband, he had tried to hide his sins for almost a year, up to a year, from God and from the people. But ultimately, we know this, that God knew what David had done. David would pen the words in Psalm 31 and 51. Listen, David would pen those words and come to the realization that this is it. He said this, not submitting to God, it's not worth it. Our escape from spiritual adultery begins when we fully submit and surrender to God. A.W. Tozer would say this, the essence of surrender is getting out of God's way so that he can do in us what he also wants to do through us. Say it again. The essence of surrender is getting out of God's way so that he can do in us what he also wants to do through us. 
Listen, tonight, if you're at the point in your life where you're looking, man, I'm looking at my life, Brother Andrew, and, I, and I'm trying to examine my life, and there's some areas of my life where I can definitely tell you I've been committing some spiritual adultery, and there's a love for this world. There's a love for pleasure. There's a love for this sin in my life, whatever the case is. And we haven't even, we haven't even dived real deep into specific sins tonight. We're kind of being generic, if you would, this, uh, this Sunday night. But there's a love for these things in my life that don't need to be there, that God doesn't want in my life. How do I get away from those things? How do, I, how do I get rid of that spiritual adultery that's taking place in my life? First thing you and I gotta do is submit to God. We gotta surrender to God. We gotta submit to God. But next, look at verse number eight. The Bible says this, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Secondly, after you submit, you gotta draw nigh to God. You see, God graciously desires that we draw near to him. And when we deal with our sin in our life, when we confess the sin that's in our life, God will draw near to us. Notice what he says in verse number eight. He says, draw nigh to God, but then look, notice what he says, and he will draw nigh to you. Brother Andrew, I just, I'm not really seeing God work in my life. I'm not really seeing God draw near to me. Well, are you drawing near to him? <laughs> are you drawing near to him? Are you drawing near to him? Are you drawing near to him? I mean, I could bring Crystal up here tonight and demonstrate that when in a husband and wife relationship, when there's a, then there's a breach, if you would, there, and there's some issues there, man, I, I've got to submit to the fact that, man, I made a mistake. I'm wrong. I need to apologize. But I can't apologize like this. Hey, I'm sorry over there. Would you please forgive me? No, no. There's got to be some admittance to my guilt, some submission, if you would, some surrender, and there's got to be a drawing back to that relationship. Why do we think we can come to church and, and we can kind of just play church, if you would, and, 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 and make a false, uh, false statement of God, I'm sorry for my sin, God, I, please forgive me, yet there's no real drawing back to God. We want him to draw to us, but do we draw to him? No, no, I, I, want, God, I want God to move in my life. Well, are you moving toward God? Well, see, that's the problem. I kind of want to do it my way. How's that going to work? Notice, notice what the text says. Look at verse number eight. Draw nigh to God. Draw nigh to God. We're studying uh, in a teen class to start a series a couple weeks ago uh, called Who Is This Jesus? And we've been going through Scripture, through passages of Scripture in the New Testament of who Jesus Christ really is. And uh, a couple weeks ago when we began this series, I asked uh, some of the teenagers, I said, uh, you know, what, who do you think Jesus is? And heard some comments. I said, what does the world say Jesus is? And, and uh, one of our teenagers said, well, he's... You know, we see these pictures of this white dude with long hair. I mean, that's just what the world thinks Jesus is, right? That's the mindset of society. That's the mindset of the world. But today in class, we looked at this fact that Jesus is a willing Savior. See, Jesus isn't going to force himself upon you. God's not going to force himself upon you. Notice what the Bible says here in verse number 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Sometimes we get this mindset that, like, God is in heaven like he's got a whip in his hand, and he's just ready to lay the smack down on us. I don't serve a God like that. No, no, I, I, don't, I serve a God who chastens me when I need it, but I also serve a God who's like, man, if you draw nigh to me, Andrew, I'm going to draw nigh to you. And I'll be honest with you, uh, from experience, the, the, the beatings are a lot smoother when I'm closer to God than when I'm away from God. Know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever gotten a spanking growing up and like you're running around the house and mom and dad chasing you? You tend to get a few more than, than, than you really want, right? <clears throat> no, no. When I draw close to God, when I draw close to God, he draws close to me. But between God and man, there's distance. Distance that's created by spiritual adultery. 
spiritual adultery. What kinds of things contribute to the distance that would keep me from drawing near to God? I listed a couple things. How about this? Failure to maintain a meaningful daily quiet time of Bible reading and prayer. That'll do it. How about this? Entertaining known and unconfessed sin in one's life will do it. Let me encourage you parents, just kind of time out right here real quick. If If your teenager has a cell phone, I hope you're checking it. I hope you're checking it. On Friday, <clears throat> Friday we went down for a homeschool group. We went down to Kansas City and went to the Auschwitz exhibit. And you asked Ms. Doreen, as we were been planning this last couple of weeks, one of the things that both Ms. Doreen and I had talked about as we were doing this trip was making sure that our kids are safe. I'd hate to have called a parent and say, hey, we were in this exhibit in downtown Kansas City and we can't find your daughter. We can't find your son anywhere. Praise the Lord, in almost 20 years of youth ministry, I've never had to make that phone call. I came really close one time. Scared the living daylights out of me. But listen, we need to be careful what our kids are looking at. But if we're willing to entertain known and unknown things in our life, listen, some some individuals have struggles with things that they look at on their phones. Some people have struggles with pornography. Some people have struggles with alcohol. Some people have struggled with drugs. You say here? Yes. Some people struggle with sin in their life. Listen, it's going to keep you from drawing closer to God. It's going to keep you from drawing closer to God. It's going to keep you from getting right with God. How about this? Reading certain types of books or watching tainted movies. They'll do it. How about indulging in questionable amusements? That'll do it. How about neglecting the fellowship of God's people? That'll do it. Ignoring the prompting of a conscious quickened by the Holy Spirit will do it. And you ever been in a service? Pastor's up here preaching, and man, he's waxing eloquent. He's trying to remember his notes, amen. And he said he's going to finish up the sermon five times before he finishes up, amen. And he's just going, he's rearing on back. And man, you're, man, the Holy Ghost of God is just moving your heart to tears, and you just don't move. You don't respond. You know what you're telling God? I don't want to draw near God. I want you to stay over there. I'm going to stay over here. How about this? Willful disobedience to God's revealed will. That'll do it. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. God, I don't want to be separate. I don't, I don't want to be different. I want to be just like the world. How about this? Failure to cultivate a walk with God and, growing, and a growing knowledge of Jesus Christ. That'll do it. When we allow distance to grow between us and God, it is because we have failed to keep our heart with all diligence. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And then lastly, look at verse number 9 here. We've God gives us these three steps here that we one got to submit to God. Number two, we got to draw nigh to God, and then number three, I want you to notice this in verse number nine. The Bible says, "Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness." Now, notice what God says right here: "Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up." I don't think it's a coincidence that this text and this point falls right here and not before the other two. Well, Brother Andrew, I, I submit to God. I draw nigh to God. But then I humble myself. Watch this. It is possible to submit outwardly and yet not be humbled inwardly. God hates the sin of pride. God I've done you wrong. I'm going to submit to your plan, to your will. Everybody see me? Good. God, I'm going to draw near to you. 
And as I draw near to you, here's what's going to happen. It's going to come to a point where I am either going to humble myself in the face of God and submit to everything he tells me, or rising up in pride, I'm going to say, that's the end of the road. I'm done. Spiritual adultery is something we all face, we all fight, but how do we handle it? We have a tendency to treat sin too lightly, but sin is serious. And one mark of true humility is facing the seriousness of sin and dealing with our disobedience. Psalm 51, David's psalm he penned after being confronted with the sin of Bathsheba. If you have never read Psalm 51, let me encourage you to read it, to memorize it. I mean, write it out. It's so, 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 so truthful. But in verse 17, David wrote these words. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. You see, most people who commit adultery don't commit adultery on a whim. There's a process of events that leads up to that horrible sin. But it's the same for spiritual adultery tonight. No one wakes up one morning saying they desire to love this world more than they love God. I dare say tonight that in this congregation at Riverside Baptist Church, that a majority, if not all of our members, whether you're here, whether you're watching online, I would dare say that a majority of us wake up every day desiring to love God more and more every day. I really believe that. But I also know this, that if I'm guilty of spiritual adultery, you can be too. I know this, that if our pastor can be guilty of spiritual adultery, so can you. I know this, that if we all struggle with this world and with the flesh and with the world, all the world has to offer and the love for this world, we all struggle with it. The Christian is not ruined by living in the world, but by the world living in him. The evangelist said this years ago, I heard him out in Colorado preach, I thought, man, it's a great quote. He said, the ship is supposed to be in the water, not the water in the ship. Our passion ought to be a godly Christian that glorifies and lives a holy life no matter what the cost. James doesn't reference him here, but I'm going to reference him as we close out tonight's service. Jeremiah would pen these words in Jeremiah chapter number 9, verse 23. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, speaking about God, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Do you recognize tonight where you're committing spiritual adultery? Oh no, we're no, there's nobody here that's perfect. We all struggle. We all struggle. But hey, listen, there is hope. Let's submit. Let's draw nigh to God. Let's humble ourselves and watch what God can do in us and through us. Father, we thank you for the privilege tonight to be in your house. Lord, we thank you for the word of God and the truths found within the word of God. Thank you for the life of James, the book of James. Lord, what a powerful, powerful, powerful book. And I know we just looked at it real quickly tonight, God. Lord, I know tonight is a very serious subject when it comes to adultery, or even spiritual adultery. And Lord, I, I, my heart was not to be mean and condescending or browbeating at all. Lord, but I know where I struggle. And I know where I have given ground to Satan and to this world and to this flesh in my life. And Lord, if anything tonight, this message was for me. Lord, I know what I, I, Lord, I, I know, I know, I know that this is an issue in my life. Lord, I know if it's an issue in my life, it's probably an issue in other Christians' lives as well. And Lord, I believe with all my heart that Riverside Baptist Church has a desire and has a heart to not only propagate the gospel, to be a lighthouse to this community and to this world.
And Lord, I don't want myself, me as an individual, because of my spiritual adultery, to dim that light, to hinder that outreach, to have a negative effect on what you're trying to do here. Lord, I felt that maybe sometimes that has happened. And God, I want to be real tonight and just honest with you. Lord, I want to be completely sold out for you. Lord, I don't want this flesh to reign. I don't want this world to have such an impact on my life that it gets my heart, it gets my eyes, it gets my focus off of the will of God for my life. Lord, for my brothers and sisters in Christ that are in here tonight, and even for those that are watching via live stream back home, Lord, that's my prayer for them as well. That we would be completely submitted, surrendered to everything you have for us. That we would purpose every single day to draw nigh to you as you draw nigh to us. And that God, we would come to you with a humble and a contrite heart and spirit, allowing you to work in our life. As we stand tonight, every head bowed, every eye closed, the piano is going to play. Invitation time is open. Hey, listen, let's just do business with God tonight. Let's just do business with God. It's just you and God tonight. How is your relationship with God? How is your walk with God? Listen, if it's not right, and now's the time to get it right. Experience all that God has for you.